Oh, my God. 
25 minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to our Friday Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program. Yeah. 
J.M. and the A.M. Friday morning broadcast at 91.1 FM, 90.1 FM in the Catskills, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial. Around the world on the web, jmtheam.org. Bowie Vishalom, that was uh, Amram Adar, Leviathan with uh, Bowie off of the Yismach Moshe CD, Yehuda Green's Barcheni. Before that, we did a little tribute to uh, Shimon Kugel. Many of you may have heard the sudden news uh, late last night, and many of you, I'm sure, are hearing this morning uh, that Rip Shimon Kugel passed away um, last evening, Thursday night. Uh, somebody who was uh, certainly well-known in the music world, in the world of Chazanus, and uh, as we've been thinking about it for the last few hours, somebody who uh, we knew here at this program for uh, about three decades. So we did a little musical tribute from um, Reb Shimon Kugel, whose funeral takes place this morning. We'll give you the details in a moment. Uh, Regesh, of course, Modani opening things up. And we say good morning. It's Friday on this February the 6th. <clears throat> Day 17 in the month of Shvat, the year 5775. Tuf Shin Ayin It's Erev Shabbos Parshas Yisro with candle lighting time at 459 on this Erev Shabbos, 459. 12 degrees, the wind chill is at 2. Partly cloudy skies today with a high temperature of 29. Then tonight mostly clear, low of 20. Tomorrow clearing with a... Uh, High temperature of 39 degrees. Yerushalayim is at 70. We're at 12 with a wind chill of 2 here in Jersey City as we say good morning at JM in the AM. As I mentioned just a moment ago, last night we learned of the uh, sudden passing of uh, Reb Shimon Kugel. Many of you, of course, uh, as people who are familiar with Jewish music and the Jewish community in general, many, many, many people out there in our audience and knew him and had met him at some point over the last many, many years. Uh, somebody who was uh, just wonderful in terms of his... Uh, in terms of the type of person he was, type of the person... the type of, In terms of the way he uh, he performed... Where he reached out and connected with people all around the world. Great singer, great chazan, and um, I was uh, I was stunned last night. I actually, had had gone to sleep pretty early and woke up at some point. And uh, Cantor Benny had texted me and uh, asked me if I had heard anything. And minutes later, obviously, uh, once I started to. Um, to start messaging different people, the word had been confirmed. So the uh, funeral for Abshimin Kugel is uh, taking place this morning at 11 a.m. at Shomrei Hachomos, Fort Hamilton, 
and 43rd Street in Brooklyn, New York. That's Shomer Achomos, Fort Hamilton, 43rd Street in Brooklyn, New York. And um, that starts at 11 a.m., 11 o'clock this morning. And our condolences, of course, to the entire mishpacha, to the entire family from all of us here at JM in the AM. Friday morning broadcast with 12 degrees on this era of Shabbos Parshas Yisro. About an hour from now, we will do our weekly update. Malcolm Honline will join us, and the events of this week will become uh, the subject of our conversation. The weekly update here at JM and the AM about 7.40 Eastern Time. Rabbi Yudin coming up, he'll take care of the Torah portion of the week and that discussion about 8.15 and plenty more here on a Friday here at JM and the AM. Um, we remember Shimon Kugel, who was uh, taken from us suddenly last night. Another one of his great selections here at JM and the AM. <laughs>
Dieses kalten es blues da Winter, die spielst aus die wirst gefreuen. Gedenk, als ist du ein Pintel, wo's geht kein Mann nicht verloren. Das Pintel hier wird eibig blaben, in wird eibig brennen. Das kennt man findet nicht vertrauen, wie als euch misennen. Wenn Mensch sucht, ich bin nicht gläubig, sollst du ihm nur nicht bleiben. Sein Fenster ist ein bisschen stäubig, in Nord, die kennst ihm auf Heiden. Weil das Pintelied wird eibig bleiben, in wird eibig brennen. Das können wir nicht, nicht vertrauen, wir sollen immer mehr sehen.
J.M. in the A.M., a couple of minutes before 7 o'clock on this Friday morning, Erev Shabbos. It's Parshas Yisro this week with candlelighting time. 4.59 on this Erev Shabbos, 4.59. Yisrael Werdiger with Bowie Vishalom off the Odala Kel CD. Udi Davidi Hadroyikra from Ben Ahuv. Lipa Schmelzer and Pinta Liyid. Bowie Vishalom done by Yaakov Shweki. 
And Or Chadash, that classic from Shimon Kugel, uh, we learned, as uh, we mentioned earlier, we learned last evening that, in fact, last evening, uh, Shimon Kugel passed away. A great shock to uh, many of us. And um, the funeral takes place at Shomrei HaChomos, uh, 42nd Street, Fort Hamilton Parkway, Brooklyn, New York, at 11 a.m. this morning. Our condolences to his entire family and uh i think a lot of people are are just starting to get over the uh the initial shock of the news that uh he has passed away JMNAM Friday morning, uh, the king of schlock, Lenny Solomon, expected in our studio Monday here at JMNAM. Great programming all weekend long on our stream at jmnam.org. Avrami hosts Saturday Night Seagull tomorrow night starting at uh, 10 p.m. Eastern Time. Matis with JM Sunday live Sunday morning at 7 a.m. Eastern Time on our stream at jmnam.org. Elliot Weiselberg with Court Report. All the latest in the Yeshiva League basketball and hockey, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the stream at jmandtheam.org. I remind you that uh, coming up after JM and the AM this morning, Naomi Nachman, this week on Table for Two, her guests are cookbook author Kim Kushner of The Modern Menu and restaurateur Ama Empramashvili, who owns the world's only meat Georgian kosher restaurant in the world. So that's coming up uh, between 9 and 10 this morning on uh, Naomi Nachman's Table for Two and, of course, an incredible Erev Shabbos music mix all through the day on jmandtheam.org. A big thank you to our friends at Kedem for presenting that. JM in the AM, it's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program heard on listeners-sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91 Point nine on the FM dial, around the world on the web, jmtheam.org. We'll do our news from Israel coming up and plenty more on this Friday morning, including Malcolm Honline, who's in Jerusalem. Weekly update is coming up. The weekly update with Malcolm Honline coming up 7.40 this morning, Eastern Time. He's in the holy city of Jerusalem before Shabbos. We will speak with him coming up at JM in the AM. Galaitzal in the background, news from Israel next. Galaitzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast for a Friday follows next. We say Boker Tov from JM in the AM. Galaitzal, Asha Stein, Kan Shibel Karmi Mansur, Imashakore Akshav. داعش הוציא להורג בשריפה שלושה אזרחים עיראקים, כתבתנו נועם דהן. על פי דיווחים מקומיים, השלושה הועלו למוקד באותה דרך שהוצא להורג הטייס הירדני אל קססבה על ידי ארגון דאעש בסוריה. במקביל, בירדן מבטיחים לנקום את רציחתו של הטייס, וטוענים כי התקיפות הלילה בהן נהרגו עשרות לוחמי דאעש של רק ההתחלה. נמשך ניסיון החילוץ של ילד בן עשר שנפל מגובה עשרה מטרים במהלך טיול בנחל דרגה, כתבנו רמי שני. 
כוחות חילוץ גדולים פועלים כעת בצפון מדבר יהודה בנחל דרגה לחלץ ילד בן עשר שנפגע במהלך טיול משפחה. הוא החליק ככל הנראה בשעת ירידה מצוג ונפצע בגפיו. מסוק של יחידת החילוץ של חיל האוויר ביחד עם צוותים מעין גדי ומגילות פועלים ליצור מערך כבלים להעלאת הילד מעומק הנחל כדי לפנות אותו לבית חולים. מצבו טרם הובהר אולם נמסר כי הוא מעורפל הכרה. התינוק שנמצא אתמול ללא רוח חיים בגן ילדים בתל אביב מת כתוצאה מחיידק אלים. כתבתנו יערה שפירא. התינוק בן שמונה חודשים נמצא אתמול כשהוא ללא הכרה בגן ילדים בתל אביב והובהל לבית החולים שיבא, שם נקבע מותו. כעת מתברר שהתינוק מת מחיידק המנינקוק האלים, מחלה נחשבת נדירה וחולים בה בארץ בין שלושים למאה אנשים בשנה. לפני שבועיים הגיע לבית החולים שיבא פעוט נוסף במצב קשה, שסבל גם הוא ממחלה דומה. שוב חשש לעיצומים ברכבת כבר ביום ראשון הקרוב. כתבנו אלדר גילרן. הנהלת הרכבת מזהירה כי בעקבות המשך עיצומי ועד העובדים מושבתים חלק ממוסקי הרכבת. בעקבות כך קיים חשש לביטול 12 רכבות לפחות בלוח הנסיעות של יום ראשון הקרוב. עם זאת עדיין לא ידוע אילו קווים צפויים להיפגע, והנוסעים מתבקשים להתעדכן במוצאי שבת. אחרי האמירות נגד הומואים ולסביות במערכת הבחירות, פוליטיקאים בכירים מביעים תמיכה בקהילה הגאה. ציפי לבני ושר הביטחון יעלון דיברו בכינוס למען הקהילה בתל אביב. גם ראש הממשלה שלח ברכה מצולמת. לסביות, הומואים, כל חברי הקהילה הלהט"בית. המנהיג הרוחני של התנועה שלנו, זאב ז'בוטינסקי, אמר, כל יחיד הוא מלך. כל אחד הזכויות שלו. ראש הממשלה הפעם טרח, אחרי שהוא הבין את הפוטנציאל האלקטורלי, גם לצייץ את המילים הומואים ולסביות כאן היום. תגידו, אתם לא חושבים שמגיע להם יותר מאשר מישהו שמועיל לומר את המילים האלה סוף סוף? אני מגויס כדי לאפשר לחברי הקהילה לקיים חיי משפחה, כולל נישואים. לידיעת הנהגים, כביש החוף עמוס מאוד ממחלף פולג עד מחלף חבצלת בגלל תאונת דרכים, סעו בדרכים חלופיות דרך הכביש הישן או כביש 6, בכביש תל אביב ירושלים עומס תנועה כבד ממחלף שער הגיא עד מחלף שורש, גם הוא בעקבות תאונת דרכים. מזג האוויר לסוף השבוע, חם במיוחד, בשבוע הבא הגשם חוזר. אלה החדשות שעורכת טל שינדל, בצוות נינה בסר אילן ואבי כהן. Thank you. 
J.M. and the A.M. on this Erev Shabbos Parshas Yisro, candle lighting at 4.59 on this Erev Shabbos. <clears throat> Rabbi Ben-Zion Tversky and company with Menucha Vesimcha, Shua Kessin before that with Nishmas Kol Chai. Many people waking up to the uh, shocking news in our industry and in our community of the passing of uh, Rabbi Shimon Kugel last evening. And uh, the funeral takes place uh, 11 a.m. this morning, 42nd Street and Fort Hamilton Parkway, Shomrei Hachomos in Nabara Park, Brooklyn. Our condolences to the entire Kugel Mishpacha, and uh, as I said earlier, uh, Shimon Kugel, somebody we were um, familiar with, friendly with, and had the opportunity to speak to and present here for the last 30 years. And his passing, his sudden passing last night, a shock to uh, to everybody. Again, the funeral this morning, 11 a.m., Borough Park, Brooklyn, at Shomrei HaChomos. Friday morning broadcast with 12 degrees, the wind chill at 2, partly cloudy and a high temperature of 29. Clear tonight, low of 20, cloudy skies tomorrow, a high 39 degrees. King of Schlock, Lenny Solomon, stops by Monday here at JM and the AM. Amazing programming on our stream all weekend long. Make sure to be tuned in all the time at jmandtheam.org. Well, much has been spoken about over the last many months about Yeshiva Makar Chaim in Israel, a yeshiva that I would guess uh, the majority of the Jewish world had never heard of. And after the uh, kidnapping and murder of some of their students back in June... Uh, it became probably one of the most well-known yeshivas in the entire world. Rabbi Steve Solomon is with us live via telephone. He is uh, leading an effort by the uh, Yeshiva Makar Chaim in Israel to actually name the campus for the three boys who were kidnapped and murdered back in June in Israel. Rabbi Steve Solomon, welcome to JM in the AM. Thank you. Good morning to you. Good morning to all the listeners. How would you describe the yeshiva? For those of us who are high school, post-high school, the type of yeshiva it is, for those of us for whom uh, Makar Chaim has suddenly, you know, become part of the, uh, you know, of recognition in the world of the yeshivas, how would you describe the yeshiva to Jews around the world? Uh, Yeshivat Makar Chaim is, uh, in many ways, uh, has an interesting and unusual uh, characteristic. It was established about 30 years ago by uh, world-renowned uh, Ravadin Steinsaltz, uh, who is uh, probably best known uh, for the Gemaras that he has uh, published right. and continues to publish. Ravadin established the yeshiva uh, with a focus on excellence in Limu Torah, with a focus on Ahavat Yisrael, and with a Hasidic feel and flavor, not in the context of following a particular Rebbe or a particular Hasidic style, but rather the Hitlavut, the love, the warmth, uh, the use of music and, and song. And so it's, an, it's, a, it's a yeshiva that both has a high school program focused on a combination of uh, being excellent in Limu Torah and in uh, Hasidic fervor, but also has uh, several uh, adult ed programs, including uh, a Beit Midrash Lehit Chachut, 
what's called a faith midrash for renewal that uh, works with professionals, educators, menahalim, uh, to constantly have a focus on the student as opposed to the knowledge or the content. Rabbi and Steve, relationships emerge. Rabbi Steve Solomon is with us, and that's the reason, I guess, that... Uh it, it, it is no, uh, it's not unusual to consider, based on your description, uh, why music and, uh, and the, um, uh, the intensity of uh, tefillah and shira, uh, you know, were such an important aspect in the aftermath of the kidnapping and then, of course, uh, after the murder of the boys. Uh, based on the description of the yeshiva, that, that's uh, well understood. And in addition to that, as you just said, uh, the yeshiva certainly has a reputation for uh, for having uh, one of the top academic programs when it comes to Torah study in the country. Is it safe to say that uh, this yeshiva went from relative obscurity in terms of those around the world who have heard of it uh, to uh, you know uh, quite a tremendous amount of pro- of prominence, uh, unfortunately or infamously, because of what happened? Uh, tragically, uh, what you're saying, Nachum, is entirely correct. Uh, unusually. For uh, most uh, most day Torah, uh, the yeshiva has never been involved in any type of uh, of a fundraising campaign. Uh, most of the students are uh, Israeli, but there has been a uh, an eight year program now, an exchange program with Yeshiva University's MTA High School. So there are uh, students who come every year, and a similar program with students coming from South Africa. But the yeshiva. Uh, prides itself on the personal relationships, and this is a characteristic of it. Uh, never has it gone out on any type of uh, fundraising, uh, other than now when there's been a collective decision uh, to be uh, to, to be makim a makom Torah le'ilu nishmat habanim. Right. Uh, so when was this announced? When did when did this become news that in fact the campus would be named for the three boys? Uh, interestingly enough, and in some ways tragically, uh, the yeshiva had been looking for a permanent status. Uh, it has been in what in Israeli parlance uh, people refer to as uh, caravans, uh, temporary structures uh, on kibbutz kfar Uh Immediately after the uh, kidnapping and the murder of the boys in June, as you mentioned, uh, the government of the state of Israel decided that the best way to respond to this national tragedy uh, was, as we say, the heart of the Chaim, to choose life and to make a positive decision that we will be uh, building and building a Makom Torah in memory of the boys. And so the government awarded the yeshiva uh, 32 dunam, or some eight acres of land, uh, uncontested land in Gush Etzion, uh, and that was within about a month after uh, the tragedy occurred. So, the, okay, this is becoming more clear now. So, th- so if not for this tragedy, essentially the yeshiva would not be expanding. There would not be this effort, as you just said, to uh, spread life and Torah and the future of the Jewish people throughout that area of the Gush. I would say that if not for this tragedy, Kodesh Baruch Hu works in, in mysterious ways. Uh, it might be years still before this happened. There's a lot of bureaucracy everywhere, but certainly in Israel. Uh, and this was a singular event that united all of Klal Yisrael, including members of government, uh, which, as we know, were heading to an election that couldn't stay together or agree on too much else. Uh, but uh, from all angles of the government, uh, all the ministers decided that this was the right response 
and the land was awarded along with a pledge for 50% of the uh, funding. And uh, since that time, the yeshiva, working with three families, uh, has uh, developed plans. And this is our first time, actually, uh, in North America, uh, meeting with people who have an interest in being part of this project. So we get an opportunity, essentially, to fund the other 50%. That's basically how it works. Uh, not only that, uh, because of the uh, cry and uh, desire for unity, which we've heard from all three of the mothers in particular, uh, Racheli Frankel, uh, Iris uh, Sher, and uh, Iris Ifrach uh, and Batalim Sher, have spoken of the one positive, tremendous uh, outgrowth of what happened is a sense of unity among Klal Yisrael. And uh, the yeshiva has designed a campaign that would allow everybody, regardless of, of, of means and ability, to literally uh, build a brick uh, in this yeshiva and uh, to be able to be uh, contribute to uh, raising up the Makom Torah, Nishmat, uh, Rabbi Steve Solomon is with us. He's coordinating this uh, this effort for the Yeshivat Makar Chaim. What neighborhoods and communities will you be visiting in North America during your stay here? Uh, on this trip, I'm actually accompanying uh, one of the Russian Yeshiva, Rabbi David Rabinovich, um, who just arrived yesterday with the returning students from the Yeshiva University MTA exchange program, uh, along with four students from Makor Chaim, uh, who will be spending several weeks uh, at MTA. So we will be spending uh, our time in this, in this week uh, in New Jersey, the Teaneck, Bergenfeld area, uh, in Long Island, uh, in West Hempstead, in Manhattan, uh, and in neighboring communities. How, how do Later on... Sorry. Later on, we're planning to return again around just before and after Pesach, where we'll be going uh, to Florida. We'll be going to west, uh, the West Coast and probably into Canada as well. How, uh, how do people reach you? I'm sure they'd love to have the Rosh Hashiva visit their school or their neighborhood. How, how do people reach you during this trip? Well, uh, for the next week, uh, I, do, I do have a uh, U.S. number. They can reach me uh, at 212 729 3158. Um, they can also go online. We have a dedicated uh, website uh, with uh, a- uh, email addresses, and the dedicated website is, is quite simple. It's www.makor with an M A, org. And on there, there's all kinds of information, including, including my email contact and my Israeli cell phone. And I assume if people want to donate, to the uh, to the um, establishment of the campus in memory of the three boys, they could do so on the website. They can do so on the website. We try to make it as easy as possible uh, with all kinds of simple means, and of course, tax deductible uh, status uh, for any donations and dedication opportunities on the campus. Um, how much total do you need to raise? Uh, we need to be raising a total, uh, I'll say it in, in Shkalim because exchange rates fluctuate. Uh, it's fi- about 50 million shekel, uh, which would be probably between 12 and 13 million dollars. Uh, the equivalent amount is coming from Israeli uh, government and other local sources. And of the 12, 13 that you're trying to raise, has a significant amount of it already been raised? Uh, this is really the uh, beginning of our campaign, although we have received uh, raised thus far 
approximately one and a half million, wow. and uh, we did receive a very generous million dollar uh, donation um, from from one donor uh, who wishes that the Beth Midrash itself will be known as the Beth Midrash of Naftali Ilad Ve'al. Unbelievable. Unbelievable the way people have responded to this, I'll tell you. And as, and as we said earlier, uh, this would not have been possible. There would not be an expansion of the yeshiva. There would not be this type of physical growth without the terrible tragedy of last year. It just makes you think. Um, Steve, Rabbi Steve Solomon is with us. Anybody wants information about the Makar Chaim campaign and participating in the expansion of the yeshiva and naming the campus for the three boys, uh, you can go to the website, makorachayim.org, M-A-K-O-R-Chayim.org. That's M-A-K-O-R-C-H-A-I-M.org. You could reach Rabbi Steve Solomon if you want to uh, speak with him or one of the Rosh Yeshiva who's traveling with him this week or have them at uh, your school or your shul or, uh, or group in your home, whatever the case may be. Uh, you can call him at area code 212-729-3158, 212-729-3158. Three one five eight for information. Rabbi Solomon, anything else you'd like to add? I just want to thank you, Nahum, uh, and uh, all of Kal Yisrael. Uh, what comes out of a tragedy, unfortunately, is unity. Very often, and uh, the message that I'm trying to uh, get across is we shouldn't wait for tragedies to unite us. We need achdut. This is what will be uh, bring ultimately the Mashiach, and being able to build a Makom Torah through a, a real partnership across the world uh, is one major step uh, in to be maybe the Well said. Good luck this week, Rabbi Steve. I hope it goes really well. Thank you, Nachum. Friday morning broadcast, Erev Shabbos, Parshas Yisro. This is JM in the AM. Coming up, Malcolm Holmline is in Jerusalem. Our weekly update and more happening at JM in the AM. <laughs>
One of the well-known Shimon Kugel selections, Someday, Somehow. Uh, we mourn the passing of Arab Shimon Kugel. Uh, we were all shocked by the news last night that he had passed away. Funeral takes place this morning at 11 a.m. at the Shomri Achomos, 42nd Street and Fort Hamilton Parkway in Borough Park, Brooklyn. Our condolences to the entire family. And uh, just starting to get over the uh, the shocking news. Somebody who was um, so dedicated to spreading uh, amazing Jewish music, incredible Hartzigenigunim, uh, wonderful chazan, great singer, just a great person overall, and he will sorely be missed. Reb Shimon Kugel. Erev Shabbos Parshas Yisro with candlelighting at 459. You heard Cole Zimra in there. With Menucha Vesimcha here at JM and the AM. Malcolm Honeline is going to be live from Israel in just a few minutes. Weekly update live from Jerusalem coming up at JM and the AM.
Goldwag with the Menucha Vesimcha. Before that, Shimon Kugel. And again, uh, we are uh, stunned by the terrible news of uh, Rib Shimon Kugel's passing last night. Uh, passed away last evening. And um, our condolences, of course, to his entire family. Funeral takes place today, 11 a.m., 42nd Street and Fort Hamilton Parkway, Shomer Achomos in Borough Park, Brooklyn. As we remember Rib Shimon Kugel on this Friday morning, Erev Shabbos here at JM in the AM. 12 degrees, the wind chill at 2, partly cloudy and a high temperature of 29. Clear tonight, low 20, and tomorrow cloudy skies with a high of 39 degrees. Erev Shabbos Parsha's Yisro with candle lighting at 459. Malcolm Homeline from Israel in a moment, where I bet you it's not 12 degrees. Just a guess on my part. I am still a bit under the weather, so um, the excuses are completely in line. Thank goodness. If we don't, if Team Siegel does not do great at the uh, Shalom uh, Torah Center uh, basketball tournament this Sunday, completely have lined up the excuses perfectly. <laughs> just not feel, just never really got better this week. <laughs> Going to need at least the entire weekend to recover. <laughs> so. Uh, We'll see how that goes. Meanwhile, a big thank you to everybody who's been sponsoring the event. They're shattering all records with their efforts. And uh, to Rabbi Merkin and everybody who's been working so hard in the event, Yashikach, from all of us here at JM in the AM. Uh, reminder, our friends at JewishWorldview.com have uh, thousands of uh, articles for you to check out and print out before Shabbos if you wish. They continue to enthusiastically recommend our live stream to all of their incredible readers. Check out JewishWorldview.com for the latest on, uh, analysis of what's happening in this world of ours. 
Malcolm Honline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us for the weekly update, and this week joins us for the weekly update from the Holy City of Jerusalem. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. It's good to talk to you, and especially from sunny, warm, beautiful Yerushalayim. Uh, yesterday, I think Tel Aviv was 70, or certainly like 60, high 60s, and here in Yerushalayim today, it's really beautiful. Yeah, I can imagine. So you're... Uh, I don't want to rub it in, but you did say two, right? Windshield factors, two yeah. degrees. So you're suggesting if I was so in... if anybody needs a reason for Aliyah, you just got it. So you're suggesting that if I was in Jerusalem, I likely would not be suffering with this uh, sore throat and all the assorted stuff. You wouldn't be suffering at all. My gosh. Why didn't I think of taking a trip? How, co- how come Malcolm always thinks of the good ideas, I wonder? Uh, there's so much... And work 24 hours around the clock here. That's right. But in that weather, who's, uh, who minds? Uh, are you feeling the election atmosphere? Are you feeling the, um, the heightened sense of, uh, of circus-like conditions that usually accompany the weeks before an Israeli election? Uh, yes and no. Yes, there is the hype, and, and now it's played out in the cute and funny or not-so-funny ads that people are taking out. Uh, but I feel a much more greater sense of resignation, uh, uncertainty. People, uh, aside from those who have a hard commitment to a particular party, which is, is not many, for left and right, that it, it, there's a lot of vacillation. I, I don't think anybody's excited about this election in the sense that they feel that that, that, that there will be a massive change uh, coming. Um, I think a lot of people would welcome the fact that there will be stability. Uh, so right now, the latest polls, I think, show the Likud, uh, one could say, surging in, in a way ahead. I think there are four seats now ahead of labor when about a week or two ago they were behind. And they evened up, and now, according to the polls I saw this morning, uh, they are ahead. So it's it's and and the votes come from different parties, and they they go up and down a couple votes, and they will do so for the next month. You know, I had this discussion with Mayor Weingarten during our Tubishvat special. Do you agree or disagree that some of these commercial spots would never be done? by major candidates in the United States. I know there's a lot of outrageous behavior before elections, especially with the talk shows, etc. They go on, do certain things. But I don't know. I, I'm not as into this, uh, these television ads that I keep watching from Israel like some other people are. I am not either. I don't know. I mean, Israelis have reacted to them. Uh, to my surprise, people who I respect uh, were reacting to them much more strongly. But as entertainment, I don't know if they make the political link. And that may be the clever part, is that you want the message to be subliminal. So, you know, that I don't know how people in the end react. You know, there's the babysitter ad and some of yeah. the others. That, um, you know how you say you babysitter know, in Hebrew? Malcolm? The campaigns here can get pretty vicious. This one is. You have a lot of charges, accusations. There's pending charges against... Uh, Mrs. Netanyahu and Mr. Netanyahu, and they're charged against so many others. <laughs> you know, it gets very dirty, down and dirty in these uh, elections. Is there any? Is there a kingmaker emerging? Is there anybody from no. a? 
from a minor party or somebody from the religious parties that people are looking toward as major candidates, you know, that they that they must have them on their side at this point or that doesn't exist yet in this campaign? I, I don't think it exists at all. I don't think that there's anybody who rallies people to, to you know, great excitement. You had new parties, Cajalon, and you see how quickly the enthusiasm dissipates uh, people don't like what they select for the tickets. People don't like or don't feel that they're strong enough in their positioning. Uh, I, I don't see anyone uh, that fits the description you're saying. You know, they've had Netanyahu for a long time, so there's always a fatigue when you have a, uh, somebody who serves for already two terms and yeah. served before. Um, but, you know, the average Israeli government only lasts two and a half years. So they don't even have time to get tired of them. And uh, do you think this whole issue of a relationship with the White House, a relationship with the leader of the free world, is going to be a major issue in this campaign? Is it becoming one yet at this point, as the tension between Obama and Bibi seems to continue to escalate? Yeah, and it's far from over, and we can talk about that, but I think uh, it is not as big a factor here uh, because... President Obama's uh, popularity in Israel is pretty low. The, you don't have the backlash. There is concern. People are thoughtful, are concerned about what does this mean, and I'm asked all the time, you know, how will this affect it? And, you know, when members of Congress are coming out with the kind of statements they are, it, uh, you know, that people are concerned. People who know this, the, the issues in the relationship are concerned. Yeah. I wouldn't say that the average man in the street is concerned. You know, you were asked about this whole topic on Israeli television this week. And, you know, in the old days, um, you knew that Israeli television essentially was only being watched by Israelis. Obviously, today we're in a much different era. Do you think you handled it differently today than you might have 15, 20 years ago, knowing that you're really speaking to the whole world now and you're addressing questions on Israel TV? I honestly don't even think about it. I, I answered based on what... Uh, I wanted to say, not necessarily even what they asked, and my message was that we have to get beyond this pettiness, and we have to, the people here also have to think about the consequences of, you know, the charges, the countercharges, the attacks, because, you know, the election will be over one way or another in a month, but you can have a residual impact, and, and it's true in terms of U.S.-Israel relationship, and I said that it's not dependent upon, you know, one incident like this. This hurts. It, it, there is a lot of uh, bad feelings, I think, now on all sides, and I hope that there can be a resolution that will be uh, an amicable one that, that both sides can live with. I think they're all looking at that now. Nobody wants to see the, this continued tension. Um, I mean, there are people who, have, who will exploit it for political purposes here or there. Uh, we've had members of Congress making statements about not attending or you know, sitting on their hands when they go. Yeah. So, uh, that, again, I think that will go through various changes. I think sometimes people are pressured into those kind of comments. Others are pressured into other comments. So my answers on the television, and everybody who would ask me, is I, I can't say what the prime minister is going to do, and I can't say what the president is going to do. What I do know is that we have to get past this. We are facing an enemy who poses an existential danger to both countries, and they are sitting there lapping this up. But I can tell you that in Arab countries, and I spoke to some key people from Arab countries in the last couple of days and, and, uh, before I came here, and they're very concerned about it. Because for them, the united front is really critical 
uh, weeks before the deadline for the negotiations, when we are facing serious charges and when uh, challenges uh, vis-a-vis Iran, when we need a united front, I don't want to see this undermine the support that we have seen in Congress and House and, and Senate that this be politicized, that Israel become a partisan issue, these would all be terrible developments. And uh, so my answers were geared towards that. Yeah, understood. Malcolm Honline is live in Jerusalem as the weekly update continues here at JM in the AM. So uh, a, a lot of things happened this week. You know, finally, Jordan was the country to start speaking ISIS's language. And I hate to put it that way, but sometimes uh, that's the best way to put it. Uh, ISIS went ahead, and you know what happened, uh, a, a, a very high-professional video taken of one of the most brutal murders we've seen in recent years, uh, something, frankly, that, that our people could relate to in a way, but uh, just so brutal and hard to believe, and, and that video has been shown and, and is available in many different media sources in its entirety. Some, of course, banned it or altered it but uh, or, or, you know, it made changes uh, so that the entire thing wouldn't be seen, but in many cases you could see the entire thing. Jordan went ahead in response to the murder of this Jordanian pilot by ISIS and executed two prisoners. Did anybody of any significance come out against what Jordan did, or essentially the free world is completely understanding that this was their reaction? I think the latter is true, but it wasn't just the executions which took place almost immediately afterwards, and one of them was uh, the prisoner, uh, the uh, attempted suicide bomber, who who uh, was captured by Jordan. It's been held there for a long time and uh, was uh, was requested by ISIS as part of a trade. Right. The Jordanians, I think, knew that uh, that the pilot, Sasabe, had already been killed, and I think they were kept pressing them and negotiated in good faith, but said, show us that he's alive, let us see. We're ready to negotiate, but you've got to give us proof. And the I think King Abdullah showed the world, including America and including Europe, how you have to deal with it. He w- didn't just kill these two people who, who were facing death sentences. He went out and he bombed ISIS locations. Right. His jets were in the air, and he didn't apologize, and he didn't ask permission. He did what he had to do to send the message that... Jordan wouldn't capitulate. And for Jordan, this is very critical because they have very delicate balances within the country. Mm-hmm. So the, uh, I think that the action, and, and the question is, we still don't know how this is all going to play in Jordan because the tribe from which this pilot came, which is a very large one, and significant uh, people, we saw demonstrations in, in the streets of their villages and towns, not against the United States, not against Israel, but against ISIS. However, the brutality that you described of this immolation, this, this horrific act, um, uh, may move a lot of people to say, get out. We see it in Iraq. We see it in other places where we're ready to that reaction. They're going to urge Jordan not to participate. Obviously, the king right now is not going to do that. And you could see the crowds in Raqqa, which I've discussed before in Syria, the place where ISIS controls, which ISIS controls and where they have training camps for foreign terrorists, uh, uh, there were cheering crowds in the streets as they broadcast that video, the execution scene, uh, in the streets, in large uh, screens. So the, you see how how per- perverse the ISIS society is, the, the members that can't say that they're not followers or they're not associated with it. They didn't right. carry out the act. 
Which, they're supporting Which it. leads to my next question. Uh, uh, you may have just answered it, frankly. Uh, I talk about Jordan, you know, finally speaking ISIS's language. Does ISIS care? <laughs> they go ahead, they... They commit this murder and other beheadings this week, as we know, since the last time we spoke. Uh, do, do they care? Do they care that anybody that they had semi-concern about are, in fact, uh, you know, executed publicly? They do not. They don't only not care. They welcome, not the bombing, but the reaction. They want it to be horrific. What what group would think that beheadings and, and, and the, these, um, this kind of, I mean, it's hard even, I couldn't watch it. Uh, the, the burning of this guy alive would would be something that they would want to publicize, at least try to hide your crimes, your shame. They advertise it because it's become a great recruiting tool. Right. No, that you I... see how people respond to it, and they don't care. The more criticism, right. the best, that I, they want to rally. That I understand. Do they care that those two are then being executed because of of their actions in murdering the Jordanian pilot, do they? You know, you you they don't care about human life. They don't value any of these. Right. So, so they so, killed so many of their own. So then, is there, there were three Chinese guys this week killed ISIS members because they try to leave for home? Right. So the question is, what what's the value then of Jordan going ahead and executing them? Because it shows the world that he's going to stand up to it. It says to the people who might other who might affiliate and who might support. Uh, in both in Jordan, because you have ISIS in Jordan, just as you saw they caught ISIS members in the West Bank. Um, it, it's, it, it, ISIS continues to grow that since they, uh, started these, uh, the executions or, or, um, they had more than 4,000 new recruits and they're getting recruits from North Africa, 3,000 from Tunisia, 2,000 from Morocco, from, and then thousands from, from, uh, Europe, which is the new, a new population. Uh, but they killed people all over. Forty-eight executions in Iraq, fifty in Syria, in just in the month of January. Yeah. See, the so it shows you their attitude, and that this intimidation silences any potential opposition. Right? Yeah. They don't care what the West thinks of them, right? Because they're sending a message so that when they face an opposition, when they march into a village, everybody runs because they say these brutal guys are going to cut off our heads. So for those of us who are hoping that the Jordan executions would lead ISIS leaders to say, okay, guys, you know, hang on a minute, we better, we, now, now we have somebody who's ready to stand up to us, it, it doesn't matter. That was not their reaction. They couldn't care less. I, I wouldn't say in all aspects it doesn't matter because one of them, that woman had some connection to leaders of ISIS and when they kill people who are in the leadership or, you know, close family relatives. It, it, of course, it matters to some of the leadership. But to the, the ideology of ISIS, as it has emerged, welcomes this and, and is, is, is never going to be deterred by, uh, by the executions. But there are other audiences that have to see it. You know, the Russians, when Hezbollah started killing their people in Lebanon at the time, you know, they caught some of the Hezbollah guys and sent parts of their anatomy back home. Right. All of a sudden, the kidnapping of Russians stopped. Right. Because the only language they understand is a language of force. And this is a very regrettable. But all over the Middle East today, we are seeing the growth of Iranian influence, and that brings with it this extremism. They utilize these groups, whether it's Hezbollah or Hamas, which engage also in beheadings and which also engage in brutal, inhumane acts. You know, they, they don't necessarily make a video of uh, uh, every killing. But you remember in Gaza where that picture, the scene of uh, 19 guys that they accused of being collaborators and they yep. shot them in the back of the head? Yep. 
why is that any better? Yeah, it's all the same thing. Very hard to deal with an enemy that has no value for life. Absolutely right. It makes it absolutely very... right. And and it's an asymmetric war in many respects. They they kill without any restrictions, and yet it's America that's held to account. At let alone Israel that's brought before the ICC and the. <laughs> Head of the Shabbos report, Mr. Professor Shabbos has resigned, but they're going ahead with it. They appointed somebody in his place. The ICC goes ahead uh, with its process. And yet the real murderers, the people who are violating human rights, the Hamas, Hezbollah, Iranians, others, just walk. Malcolm, home lines in Jerusalem. This is America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard and listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope. Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM Dial, broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey, around the world on the web, jmtheam.org. Special welcome to those tuned in on the NSN app. You can comment on that app and toss in a comment whenever you wish. Yeah, I apologize for reading, but uh, just give me a chance to go through these couple of paragraphs, because if there's one item that it seems uh, our, our listeners are demanding for you to analyze for us this week. It's this one. At the National Prayer Breakfast, President Obama reminded attendees that violence rooted in religion is not exclusive to Islam, but has been carried out by Christians as well. Obama said that even though a religion, even though religion is a source of good around the world, there will always be people willing to, quote, hijack religion for their own murderous ends. Quote, unless we get on our high horse and think this is unique to some other place, remember that during the Crusades and the Inquisition, people committed terrible deeds in the name of Christ. In our home country, slavery and Jim Crow all too often was justified in the name of Christ. Obama also denounced Islamic state terrorists for professing to stand up for Islam when they were actually, quote-unquote, betraying it. Quote, we see ISIL, a brutal, vicious death cult that in the name of religion carries out unspeakable acts of barbarism, he said, criticizing them for claiming the mantle of religious authority for such action. Seems a lot of people were outraged by the comparison to the Crusades uh, in terms of uh, ISIL uh, in today's modern era. What's your reaction to President Obama's statement? Well, I understand the outrage and why people feel that today when Christians are being killed in the thousands, maybe tens of thousands, by Muslims, and the unwillingness generally of the administration, of European governments and others, to name those responsible, to to isolate those who are responsible, because it's not every Muslim, or, and Muslims are often the first victims of of the Islamist terrorist groups, but a community that uh, refuses to denounce it, and if leaders refuse to name the name and, and shame them and isolate them and eliminate them. Mm-hmm. And if you don't say who it is and, and who's doing it, and to... Draw analogies. It is true, clearly, that people have died in the name of religion in many places, and that it still continues today. But you don't have terrorist organizations going around in in Nigeria or in other places executing uh, children. Uh, I just saw a report that the the human rights uh, the, the rights of children committee of the United Nations they talk about cases of of mass executions, crucifixions and uh, beheading of children in Iraq and burying them alive. We're, what other group is doing this day? There are crazy people of every religion. There are, But this is organized. You don't have the kind of uh, infrastructure that you have today under the name and the guise of radical Islam, Islamist. And we don't say Islam. We say Islamist to make the distinction, but to understand that Muslims have to denounce it that the uh, religious leadership have to 
be held to account and, and say where they stand, and to, to, to somehow try to, you know, minimize it or, or denigrate the unique nature of the danger, I think it's to, is to, it's to hurt the effort to confront it. There is a lack of willingness. Why, why do we not hear the kind of condemnation that so readily we hear about Israel, let alone others, uh, of, of uh, Azerbaijan, of, uh, of President Sisi. Look at all the criticism. But not Erdogan, a fundamentalist who's put all the uh, journalists in jail, the generals in jail, eliminated rights, and yet you don't hear the condemnation of him, and he remains in NATO. I mean, it's, it's incredible. And the, the fact that we're still negotiating, and this weekend there will be another round of negotiations with Iran. You hear reports of proposed deals which certainly do not meet what we what was expected they continue their ballistic missile development the centrifuges and undermining regime after regime uh, you know the Khamenei said i can that sunnis uh, shiites control for the first time in history four arab capitals but they're active in many other arab capitals many african capitals many south american and globally this is this is not you know, a regime where we can sit down and have tea and say, well, like we did with Havana, we can do it with Tehran. No. And the idea that somehow if we reach a deal, even if it's not what we would call, what they would call a good deal, that you will buy peace or some uh, some kind of cooperation and, and minimization of violence in Syria and Iraq and other places, what you're going to buy is a century of conflict. You're going to see a nuclear arms race. If it's not a deal, and, and every one country in the region is preparing for it. They're scared, and, and you know, leaks come from the Europeans about 6,500 centrifuges, other kinds of things. Uh, we're told that it's not true and that they're not close to it, and they're talking about a breakout time of six months, of two months, um, the stockpiling uh, of, uh, of uh, enriched uranium at 5% is enough to produce four nuclear weapons. So we're, we're at a very critical stage and to we have to be willing to isolate those who engage in these horrific acts to to cut them off cut off those who support and abet them and not obfuscate it and the reality is that every country you could list every middle eastern country they're all on that list of those who fear iran right even those who everyone everyone including lebanon writing my point exactly including those including those perceived to be their allies because it's only partial. It's it's those who benefit and right. whose interests. Look how CC has stood up to the to the challenges. When you, you mentioned King uh, Abdullah, well, right. uh, he has to he's cracked down against them in in the Sinai. Some people are critical, you know, that he's destroying houses along the border, but his people are dying otherwise. And the uh, you know they, they found the tunnels, more tunnels now, longer tunnels, two thousand kilometers. Uh, 2,000 meter tunnels uh, from the Sinai into Egypt, uh, Gaza into Egypt. Uh, he's addressing it, and he's he's trying to take the steps that are necessary. Nobody says there are violations of human rights and tries to ignore the realities. But you got to look at the context in each country in which these things are happening. You know, Caroline is rebuilding its forces, weapons, advanced and more and more advanced weapons. They're not putting the cement to the building of the houses. Right. So they criticize. Israel that they that there is in reconstruction, but Israel sends in 
600 trucks a day, <laughs> and it goes into to building, again, the, the military infrastructure. Right, and this is an old story. People shouldn't t- be taken by surprise. You've been talking about this for years already. Uh, but Caroline Glick echoes what you've been telling us about Israel's relationship with Egypt. I mean, to the extent where she may, she may actually believe at this point that Egypt's more of an important ally for Israel than the United States is. I don't know if you'd agree with that. Uh, but it, but it, uh, the United States remains, you know, a great power. Look at all the things that we do with them, the weapons, exchange, intelligence, military. At the United Nations, Egypt does not stand with us. The United States generally stands with Israel. I mean, it's too simplistic, but I do think she's right that in a strategic sense, Egypt's role right. has proven really critical that if you had more seat today, God forbid, in power, Think of what the Sinai would look like, what Gaza would look like, what the threats against Israel would be. Yeah, no question about that. Um, you, we asked you earlier, I, I mentioned earlier about your comments on Israeli television, and one of the things that uh, you, we, you were asked about was the, was the efforts by certain people in the United States to influence the election in Israel. Uh, are you getting the feeling that... Um, that in fact there's, I mean, we discussed this last week. I don't know what you've been able to discover there while you're there, but is there undue influence? Is there an unfair um, participation among American groups in the Israeli election at this point? I, I do think that there are uh, that it is destructive to democracy when you have people who are not, you know, affected by the results and who can make decisions just based on their own personal predilections or views and don't think and don't have to deal with the consequences of a vote. And that's why I think when people go into the voting booth, you know, they, they don't want to waste their vote. They want to think about it. And, and I don't believe that the impact uh, of the foreign influences is perhaps determinant, but it is a factor. And, it, and it's true on all sides. This is not a, a partisan comment. It's something I've said for many years. I think it's a mistake for American Jews to, to they can express views, they can, you know, certainly wish for certain people, but to interfere in the process, I think it is a mistake, and I think when Israelis interfere in American political processes, it's a mistake. All right, the question is, are you getting the feeling that it's really happening? And I, I, we understand you're, you know, you're philosophically against it, a lot of people are. But, you know, practically, on the ground, is the machination in place right now where there's great American influence on this election? I wouldn't say that. I would say that, you know, the reports that people have made contributions, <clears throat> some are funding, reports of uh, the funding of, uh, let's say, negative campaigns, as we described, and then in America, independent campaigns against a candidate. Uh, I do think that those that that, that has happened. I, I don't and I haven't been able to gauge that any indication that it is decisive. As I said, I think people are, are unsure how they want to vote, are examining all of this uh, very carefully, and may not really be able to make a determination until they go in the booth and, I, and finally decide. Right, yeah. Seems to be that type of election. All right, the speech. Last week you said 70% chance it'll take place. I'm referring, of course, to BB in front of the joint session of Congress. Uh, whether it takes place or not, the speech itself I don't think is the real issue here. The issue is we can't get this out of the headlines. We can't get this controversy about how he was invited and why he was invited and whether he should have been invited and whether it's important for him to address Congress even if he's not welcome in Washington. You know, those who are saying that he has a moral obligation to give this speech. You know, forget about what, you know, how, how and what and who's being insulted and who's not. Some feel there's a moral obligation, Malcolm, for him to get up and give the speech vis-a-vis Iran in Washington. 
that is true. There are people who recognize the importance of this issue of Iran and that the prime minister says his state and his country faces a, a, an existential threat. So does the West, I think, and that given the opportunity to speak to the most powerful legislature in the world, an invitation extended, the process is not irrelevant. I think we can't allow Israel to become a partisan issue. We can't allow it to be uh, the, the U.S.-Israel special relationship to be undermined and congressmen and senators having to take sides. I, I hope that there will still be a resolution yeah. um, of See, some kind. You know, there's a lot of thought being given to it. A lot of good people have oh, told me with suggestions. I am sure there's a I lot of thought. every one of them. Because if this does stay in the headlines, he's going to have to pull out. Because I believe that there's going to be a perception that it could lose in the election if he, quote-unquote, embarrasses the President of the United States. <clears throat> I don't think it will. I, I don't think here you have that perception I, and, and it's not debated in the same way. They're more interested in the gossip part of it, you know, who did it and right. who was responsible. And I don't know. But, but as I said before, if, the, if it had been Clinton or George Bush II, I think the reaction might have been different because the attitudes towards them were different. Uh, President Obama's popularity is shown in the polls is not very high. They are concerned, and there should be concern, that the U.S.-Israel relationship not be damaged. And I think there's no reason here that it should. You can't let personal peak or uh, egos or other things uh, determine what happens on very vital issues which both countries need. And I think that the enemies of both are sitting back and laughing at this and enjoying it. And the friends of both countries are scratching their heads and said, "What is going on? What does this mean?" And I know, can tell you that I've had calls from leaders uh, outside of uh, Israel. Um, asking about it and, and sort of, you know, shaking their heads. And, uh, and, and as you said, it, it, it's got to get out of the headlines. It's got to be resolved. Because people, even in America, there will be people who, who wanted to, you know, instigate against Israel will use this and are using it in talk shows and political statements, etc. Finally, in Argentina, and we've discussed the, uh, uh, should we call it murder now? Should we call Nisman's demise a murder or not? I think so, and I think the, the evidence largely points to it. It's, there's nothing conclusive yet, but I certainly think that that is the a fair assumption. What's interesting is the reaction in Argentina. I assume it's not just members of the Jewish community who are taking to the streets demanding justice. Am I right? Uh, no, there are others, uh, many others. He was highly respected. Uh, his colleagues and others have been speaking out about it, um, but it's it's you know, the, the details are still very murky. What what emerged this week that was really, I think, extremely significant was that in the garbage of, you know, at his apartment, they found a 29-page, 26-page document that uh, requested the arrest of Timmerman, the foreign minister. Right. And I think, uh, uh, and he had drafted a, an arrest warrant for President uh, Cristina Fernandez de Kirchner, the president of Argentina, and he accused her of trying to shield Iranian officials from responsibility in the bombing of the Amia Center in uh, 94. Uh, the fact that he had drafted these arrest warrants, supposedly these new revelations that came out, it shows the tension between them, and that day was the day when he was testified to testify before the Argentinian Congress about these accusations. So it's another layer of uh, of suspicions added to the uh, to what 
existed. There were demonstrations that people in Argentina generally do not believe it was a suicide. And then his successor denied that they found it and later had to correct uh, the record and saying she should have said they did find uh, these documents. Is there, so, enough, is there enough? People are looking and saying, are we going to get a whitewash? Are we going to get uh, Timmerman and uh, Kirshner off the hook? Or are they going to just delay it till it's no longer relevant? Well, the, the, the delay might work because I don't know if this level of anger or uh, passion is going to you know, stay the way it is in Argentina. And, you know, as time goes by, things tend to, you know, drift away. Uh, the question is, can there be enough passion maintained there uh, for justice that would, uh, you know, in fact make a difference? And I guess that's what remains to be seen. That, and, and this is a test of Argentina, and the international community has to come in, and, and Americans have others, to put pressure on them to, to take the steps necessary. Many voices, courageous voices inside Argentina have spoken up about it. But uh, many Jews, there have been threats, there have been demonstrations against the Jews, there have been assaults, again, in in uh, Buenos Aires and other places that uh, seems to become more and more commonplace. And and we see this version of justice. Look, at, look what happened with Shabbos. He resigns, right. and yet the investigation continues. They appoint somebody who came out of New York's court systems um, as a replacement. They didn't shelve it. They didn't say we're going to have to re disregard everything that was done till now because Shabbos, it turns out, had worked as a, uh, a consultant to the Palestinian Authority or to the PLO uh, and not long ago, not 10 years ago, but two or three years ago. And the, uh, you know, the, the shame and the sham of, of that investigation, uh, which has no justification even under their rules, under uh, international court rules. And I hope that the, uh, under the Human Rights Council rules, and I hope also that the ICC, International Criminal Court, which is going ahead with its investigation of Israel, will also be brought to, to heel. And there again, we need the United States to take leading. We need Europeans. We need others to voice if they want to protect these institutions, if we want to show that the real those really guilty will be held to account. You know, Malcolm, uh, because of the reaction of Jordan, you mentioned the airstrikes against ISIS and uh we, there's a there's a headline in today's Jerusalem Post about uh, ISIS. Uh, it says here, seen under strain in Syria, though far from collapse, which would indicate they had a bad week, I guess. Uh, for those of us who like to see good defeat evil, is there hope here? Is there hope that the collective of countries, in fact, can defeat ISIS? Could the ISIS be defeated? Yes. It takes uh, <coughs> America to stand up to those who are aiding and abetting them. It means that we can't send the wrong message in Iraq, where you have the 50 new militias that have emerged, many of them taking uh, weapons uh, from the United States. Michael Flynn, who was the head of the Defense Intelligence Agency, just retired. He said the, uh, the members of the Bader Corps are responsible for killing many American soldiers, and they'll do it again if given a chance. You see that uh, uh, the Hezbollah training the Bader Brigade. So while American policy is to support integration of these militias. We're, in fact, helping to support the creation of, of groups that, that are um, integrating into the Shiite militias, yeah. which in turn sometimes support, are identified with uh, IS and with, uh, or with Al-Qaeda. So, you know, there, there isn't the clarity of message. There has to be a unified front the Iran, uh, one of the great experts on the Shiite uh, militias, said 
is uh, uses Iraq as a petri dish to grow new Shiite, <laughs> Shia uh, jihadist groups. And w- when you see what is going on on the ground, when you see the more uh, obvious and blatant role that Iran directly and the IRGC, Iran Revolutionary Guard, play with Hezbollah in the Golan, all along the Golan, in Lebanon, if we if we don't, and then of course we're going to see this in Gaza, right, and then increase the efforts in the, in Sinai and Gaza. They graduate fifteen thousand young people from a one week training course run by Hamas on terrorism, and wh- wh- where's the outcry? Where's the world that was so concerned about Israel defending itself and what was happening in, in Gaza, saying that's not what we were speaking up for? And you see why Israel has to act. In, in the way that it does. Because look at the nature of the enemy that it faces. Many of the Arab countries are saying, no more. We're not going to tolerate it. That was what King Hussein's message. That's what CC's message. It's a message you're hearing more and more. Let's hope we uh, continue to uh, establish leaders who are able to carry out that message. We need it so badly. Malcolm, enjoy Jerusalem, and we'll speak Bezrat Hashem next week. God willing, next week from Vienna. Vienna? Vienna. I better start preparing my. We're going to do a Viennese waltz together. There you go. I'm going to start preparing my trivia questions about Vienna all through the week. Uh, there he is. Uh, have a wonderful Shabbos. Malcolm Holmline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, Parshas Yisro, with candle lighting at 4:59 on this Erev Shabbos. This time each and every Friday, every Erev Shabbos, with great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Uden spiritual leader of Congregation Shomrei Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Yudin. Good morning, Nachum. Good Erev Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parshas Yisro. Parshas Yisro, wow, has, according to the Chinuch, three positive mitzvot and 14 prohibitions. But, we should realize what's contained in this parsha. We have the introduction in chapter 19 to Kabbalah Torah, to the literally receiving of the Torah by several million Jews at Har Sinai. And as the Torah tells us, in Va'eschanan, in describing this very special occasion, literally no other people on the face of this earth ever have made the claim, as we do, that God communicated and spoke to the entire nation. How do we know that there is the institution of prophecy, not because Moshe Rabbeinu came and said, God communicated with me. They heard Hashem communicate first with them and then with Moshe. And this is something which is so significant that our belief in Torah min Hashemayim, number one, that our Torah is divine, and secondly, as it says in this week's parasha, as a result of Maimad Har Sinai, as a result of the experience at Sinai, the Gam Ya'aminu Le'olam, literally, 
through you and you, Moshe, they will believe forever that you are a, as the Rambam writes, the Adon Hanavim, literally the master of all, greatest of all prophets. And therefore, we look upon Moshe literally as a tape recorder, that as God spoke to Moshe, we were given those prophecies in that exact form. I'd like to focus this morning on the Ten Commandments, but I'd like to first demonstrate, as Rashi notes in his commentary on Bereshus, in chapter 33, Pasuk 20, Rashi quotes a Pasuk from Yirmiyahu. In the 23rd chapter of Yirmiyahu, the Navi compares Torah kipatish ifutzatz sela, literally as a hammer that shatters a rock. And our rabbis understand this to mean that Torah are mischalkim lekamo ta'amim. The Gemara in Shabbos, Peches 88b, tells us that part of the excitement of Torah is what I call, like an onion, layers and layers, or different levels of interpretation. And so, having said that there's more than one way to look at that which we are most familiar with, I'd like to ask a rhetorical question. What are the Ten Commandments? Not what they are in terms of, I am your God, the first one, and you're not to have another one. No, 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 no. But I'm looking as to what is the role of the Ten Commandments, and especially, why does it culminate with losach mode, which means you're not to covet. So, interestingly, the Ponim Yafos of the Hafla'a, he presents a fascinating approach to the Ten Commandments. We just finished this past week the Gemara Yavamos in the Dafyomi, and he cites from the Gemara Yavamos in Daf Mem Zayin 47a that we find in this week's parasha when Hashem gives Moshe the instructions as to what he is to tell the Jewish people so the Torah tells us that Eile Hadvarim these are literally the words that you are to speak to the Jewish people. And Rashi says, interestingly, on this verse, these are the words, you're not to literally add, nor to detract. What is going on here? Suggests the Hafla something very fascinating. 
He says, the Gemara in Yevamos that I cited before tells us that when a potential convert comes to study Judaism, we teach him some kalos v'chamuros, literally some of the more lenient, minor, less challenging mitzvos, and chamuros, some of the major stringent, more challenging mitzvos. And so he understands that when Rashi says, Lo pochos v'lo yoseer, that you're to teach and tell them this, not more and not less, Hashem was telling Moshe to proceed slowly with B'nai Yisrael and to provide a gradual initiation into Torah and mitzvot. In other words, the Jewish people were undergoing conversion at this time. And Hashem was telling Moshe that these are the rules. You tell the Jewish people as potential converts a smattering of some of the more serious and some of the more lenient laws. Now, I suggest that tonight, bring the Chumash to the table, and with those that are gathered around your table, say, okay, how are we going to understand this Hafla'ah? Which ones of the Ten Commandments are the more Chamuros, the more challenging ones, difficult ones? And which ones are the kalos easier? But the idea is that this is a very fascinating way to look upon Yaseris Hadibros. I'll ask the question again. What are the Ten Commandments? The Chidushe Harim, interestingly, works from a different perspective. And he connects the three sets of ten, ten, ten. He says this in his commentary at the beginning of Pasha's Vo'era on the Arba Lishonos of Geula. He says, Hashem created the world with ten ma'amoros, ten statements, as we find in the beginning of the fifth chapter of Avos. And then the ten makos, the plagues that Hashem brought upon the Egyptians, affirmed his being the creator, and his demonstrating his absolute control over nature. And through the ten makos, the Jewish nation experienced Hashem's tender loving care on their behalf, sparing them from any suffering and preparing them for the acceptance of the Ten Commandments. And therefore, as the Ten Ma'amoros, the Ten Statements with which the world was created, was a foundation of spirituality for the physical world, Hashem infused the world He created with these Ten Ma'amoros, with these Ten Statements of spirituality, the Ten Commandments, was the foundation of the Jewish nation created 
at Sinai. Once again, what are the Ten Commandments? I'm going to suggest a very novel approach that the Chizkuni teaches in his commentary. He says that it's like Dayenu, Kamomalos Tovos, how many good performances and privileges and favors did God do for us. Not only did He take us out of Egypt, but as we know, on the night of the Pesach Seder, we enumerate from stage to stage to stage, wow, 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 look what HaKadosh Baruch Hu has done for us. And similarly, says the Chizkuni, well, you know what the Ten Commandments are? They are, Lo Kamar. Lozu Avzu. Not only this, but that. Not only this, but that. And so he notes a progression, beginning with the acceptance of the absolute sovereignty of Hashem. And each subsequent commandment is an increased level of commitment towards honoring Hashem and refining man's character and polishing his image of God in which he was created. And thus, not only do we accept Hashem as the creator and director of the world in number one, but one may not partner any other being or belief together with him. That's number two. In addition, even his name is treated with utmost sanctity. Number three. Moreover, we not only believe in Him, but we emulate Him by ceasing all our creativity on Shabbos as He ceased to stop and stopped creating. That's number four. We further honor Hashem by honoring parents in their role as creators. Number five. And as man was created in the image of a God, this belief in Hashem is further extended to the prohibition of murder. Number six. And not only may one not kill an individual, but even to violate their soul through immorality is the next realm of prohibition. Number seven. We're further forbidden to steal, number eight, either man or his property, and even to testify falsely, is number nine. And finally, the tenth step in the realm of spiritual perfection is losachmod, the prohibition of coveting the possessions of the next one. And lest anybody should ask, oh my goodness, how is it that the Torah can legislate to one's feelings and cravings I'd like to share with you one more interpretation of the Ten Commandments based upon the teachings of the Rakanti, who says the following. Why is lo sachmod, not to covet, not to be jealous, the last of the Ten Commandments? He says, because he quotes the Pasuk from Tehillim 119. And there, in Tilim 119, Pasuk 86, the Pasuk says, Kol mitzvascha emuna. Literally, all your commandments are faithful, emuna, talking to God. 
But he interprets it to mean no. All your commandments lead man towards Emuna. Emuna, faith in God, is the highest accomplishment. And therefore, he understands that all the Ten Commandments, and indeed our 613 mitzvot, are to enhance our Emuna belief in Hashem. And if one believes that Hashem manages and runs the world, then if my neighbor has certain possessions and assets, it's because he needs them to accomplish his avoda, his unique, personalized service of Hashem. And if I don't have them, it's not that Hashem has made a mistake on high, that often time, that's what people think. But no, those same gifts and assets might very well not be beneficial to me for my exclusive avoda. Somebody once asked his friend how business was, and he answered, Ken Zayn Besser, meaning could be better. The Chafetz Chaim who overheard the conversation asked, how do you know? Thus the Rakanti helps us attain the progression that the Chizkuni was speaking about. By appreciating and accepting the first step, namely the existence of Hashem and His involvement in every aspect of our lives, we can more readily understand and accept the tenth step of not coveting. The Gemara in Yuma, Lamed Ches, teaches that each individual is destined to receive exactly what they need and what's coming to them. And you did not take away from another person even a hair's breadth. Moreover, the Gemara in Sota 9a teaches that if one is jealous of the next one's possessions, not only does he not get it, but oftentimes, because he did not appreciate what he had, he will lose that as well. And finally... I believe lo sachmod, not to covet, is a recipe for healthy living. Ezehu Ashir, who's a rich one, hasomeach bechelko, the one who is what? Usually translated as the one that's happy and satisfied with his lot, and that's correct. But I'd like to suggest another explanation. The one who's happy with what the next one has, the realization that I have what I need. And if I don't have it, it's because Hashem knows best, and I don't need it. And it's best for me this way. This keeps one out of the route, out of the rat race of life, enabling one to truly enjoy both this world and the next. Shabbat Shalom, and good luck on the journey from one through ten. Shabbat Shalom to all. Yom Shabbos Menucha Kol HaMesangim
The Weinrib Brothers. It seems like they're everywhere now. I dedicated their uh, song the other day to uh, Leo at Filler Up on West Englewood Avenue in Teaneck, New Jersey. Turns out they did a performance there on a Thursday night a few weeks ago. And then Schleimi Eichler was with me yesterday during the live lunch. We were talking about Judaica. And he tells me they did a performance at Eichler's at Flatbush last week. So the Weinrib brothers are everywhere. And there they are with the title track, Me'en Olam Haba, here at JM in the AM. Quarter before the hour, it's Friday morning on this JM in the AM, uh, Erev Shabbos Parshas Yisro, candle lighting at 4.59 on this Erev Shabbos. Uh, great programming all weekend long. Matis has JM Sunday, 7 o'clock in the morning, Eastern Time, this coming Sunday. Uh, Elliot Weiselberg, 7 p.m. Sunday with Court Report. Everything happening in the world of uh, Yeshiva League basketball and hockey. He'll have that Sunday night on our stream. Boy, the sneezing, the sore throat, the coughing, it just continues. I wish our team was at full strength for the Shalom Torah Center Shoot for Shalom um, basketball tournament this Sunday. I wish we were at full strength. If we were at full strength, we'd probably win the whole thing. What a shame that because of this timing... Because it being at the height of cold and flu season, what a shame that if in fact we don't end up as the number one team, Team Siegel on Sunday, what a shame that it's going to be because of the, uh, of the cold and flu season. Unbelievable. Uh, <laughs> I'm telling you, my excuses are lined up perfectly for Sunday. Anyway, and I want to thank those who've been sponsoring the teams for the event for Shoot for Shalom. Uh, what was I saying? I was saying that, um, I was saying that, uh, candle lighting is at 459 in this era of Shabbos Parshas Yisro. Uh, we went through the Sunday schedule coming up later on this morning, right after JM and the AM, and you can actually see this on our website. If you go to NahumSiegel.com, you can actually see the show. Uh, Naomi Nachman is going to be presenting this week's edition of Table for Two. You can actually see the show on the homepage of our website. She'll speak with cookbook author Kim Kushner. Kim Kushner of the Modern Menu and restaurateur Anna Emprashalvili, who owns the world's only meat Georgian kosher restaurant in the world. They'll both be uh, Naomi's guests coming up between 9 and 10 this morning, right after JM and the AM. And you can see the whole thing if you go to the website, NahumSiegel.com. The video is up there on the homepage, a uh, video of Naomi's uh, show for this week. Well, the rumor has it that Uncle Maishi's coming to Queens this week. Let's do a little Uncle Maishi music for you on a Friday Erev Shabbos at JM in the AM. Shopping in a store, buying things for Shabbos more and more. One bought the challah and headed to the door. Nine little mitzvah boys shopping in the store. There were nine little mitzvah boys shopping in a store, buying things for Shabbos more and more. One bought wine and headed to the door. Eight little mitzvah boys shopping in the store. 
We're buying things for Shabbos more and more. One bought fish and headed to the door. Seven little mitzvah boys shopping in the store. Seven little mitzvah boys shopping in the store. Buying things for Shabbos more and more. One bought sholent and headed to the door. Six little mitzvah boys shopping in the store. The boys shopping in the store They were buying things for Shabbos More and more One bought Kishka and headed to the door Five little mitzvah boys shopping in the store Five little mitzvah boys shopping in the store Buying things for Shabbos More and more One bought Kugel and headed to the store Four little mitzvah boys shopping in the store Four little mitzvah boys shopping in the store Buying things for Shabbos more and more. One bought cake and headed to the door. Three little mitzvah boys shopping in the store. Three little mitzvah boys shopping in the store. Buying things for Shabbos more and more. One bought salad and headed to the door. Two little mitzvah boys shopping in the store. Two little mitzvah boys shopping in the store. Buying things for Shabbos more and more. One bought herring and headed to the door. One little mitzvah boy shopping in the store. One little mitzvah boy shopping in the store. Buying things for Shabbos more and more. One bought flowers and headed to the door. There were no little mitzvah boys shopping in the store. There were no little mitzvah boys shopping in the store. So they closed for Shabbos and shut the door. Off the grocer went smiling happily. Making challah, wine, fish, sholent, kishka, kugel, cake, salad, herring, flowers. Good Shabbos to you and everyone. Chazak presents Uncle Maishi live in concert this coming Sunday. Starts at 2.30 at the unusual of Kew Gardens Hills in Queens on 150th Street in Flushing. Information, you can call 718-285-9132-718-285-9132. Here's Eitan Katz.
Time Cats, Friday morning, JM in the AM. As we announced earlier, the uh, unfortunate news, the passing of the great Rip Shimon Kugel, his funeral takes place uh, this morning at 11 a.m. at Shomre HaChomos, which is located at uh, 42nd Street and Fort Hamilton Parkway in Brooklyn, New York. Our condolences to the entire family. Uh, just starting to initially uh, deal with the shock of the uh, news from last night. That Rib Shimon Kugel has passed away. Friday, Erev Shabbos at JM and the AM with candlelighting at 4.59. Time to say good Shabbos with Journeys at JM and the AM. The sun is going down. It's shining through the trees. Another week's gone by. Become a memory. So throw. Cause all your work is done Gonna spend the day together with the Holy One Say special blessing on a cup that's filled with wine Man and his creator, it's a very special sign will be burning They'll fill your home with light Singing songs of Shabbos Well into the night So throw away your hammer There's nothing left to do Go on home and find a gift That's waiting there 
Israel and Achimachem, our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard and listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope. Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, broadcasting live from the Sonia and Robert Gold Studios in Jersey City, New Jersey, around the world on the web, jmtheam.org. Please keep in mind Shlomo Yitzchak ben Elka for a Shlema. Shlomo Yitzchak ben Elka for a Rafua Shlema, and your help with that is greatly appreciated. Monday, the king of Schlock, Lenny Solomon himself, is supposed to spend time with us in studio Monday morning. Very much looking forward to that. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Great weekend, everybody. Until Monday, it's Nachum Siegel reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.